Produced by PI Media. Abundant in volume yet scarce, soothing and relaxing yet bearing a devastating force. Defies the laws of physics and it can heal as much as it can harm. It is the source of life. I'm Idan and from Israel Newtech and PI Media, this is Waterline. Welcome back to Waterline. In March of 2018, the World Water Council held the 8th World Water Forum in Brasilia, Brazil's capital, a week-long expo, convention and trade fair that saw 100,000 people. The city was abuzz with any conceivable language spoken on earth, and translators worked hard to make sure that every word said during this week is understood by all. You see... Water is a global issue as much as it is a local issue. And since water knows no borders, collaboration is both essential and sensible. Waterline had a studio at the World Water Forum as part of the Israeli pavilion. I had the opportunity to interview people from far and wide. Public sector personnel, private sector employees, NGO members, entrepreneurs, legislators, international conglomerates, representatives, all were happy to share with Waterline their views and work. One of them is Carlo Galli, technical manager of water resources in Nestle, a man with a global view on water. He began our conversation by describing his role in Nestle. In my capacity, I helped my company to drive the water stewardship strategy and implement it in all our operations. That means close to 500 factories around the world and the agricultural supply chain. What is water stewardship as far as Nestle is concerned? Let's start by the definition, which is very much heavy terminology, but I think it's good to understand what it is. The definition is the use of water that is socially equitable, environmentally sustainable, and economically beneficial. And this has to be done through a stakeholder-inclusive process in the catchments where we operate. So if you translate this very <laughs> heavy and complicated concept in, in practical terms, means understanding that on top of being very efficient water users within our factories, we have learned over time that this is not enough to ensure the resilience of our business because water is something we share with our neighbors within a catchment, which you could consider a big glass full of water. We are taking out only a very small amount of water from one of the many straws in this glass. So by simply focusing on minimizing the water use from this small straw and neglecting completely how and if water is managed sustainably by all the other straws, can you imagine that you just focus on spending a lot of money, but at the end you do not deliver the real impact because most likely the level in the glass is going down and we all suffer. So the idea of water stewardship is, that's why we, we speak about stakeholder inclusive process. You need to be efficient because this means having uh, your house in order. But then immediately after, you need to stand, understand who are your neighbors and understand what you can do with your neighbors to make sure that the whole area is clean enough to live sustainably. You make food out of water. 
So it doesn't matter if it is instant coffee and stuff like that, uh, or how Nestle began, which is actually... Infant formula. <laughs> so water is not only something that you use to produce, it's something that then the consumer needs to add. Yeah. Do you put it into consideration as well in your processes? Well, this is a very, very good question. Because in fact, the, the reason why we are very serious on water is because it's cross-cutting in our value chain. So you need water to produce the agricultural materials, and this is the biggest part of the pie. And obviously, if raw materials are not coming to our factories, there's no business for us. Water is needed for our operations, for our factories, because if you don't have water, you don't run the factories. But also, as you mentioned, our consumers, they need water to prepare and cook our products. So clearly, the value chain is affected. And the reason why we are working in collaboration with other actors to promote sustainable water management is because we understand that without water, we don't have any business, but not only because we don't have the chance to run the factory, because even our consumers, they don't have the water to prepare and cook our products. Dairy factories, for example, when we produce infant formula, we take advantage of the water embedded in the milk, because most of our factories, the dairy factories, they purchase a significant quantity of fresh milk on a daily basis to produce our products. Instead of removing the water and sending it out immediately as an effluent, we treat this water, which is, by the way, 80% of the fresh milk weight, and we use it as drinking water alternative to run our factory processes. And not only that, at the end of the production process, we segregate again these effluents, which are very good quality effluents. We treat them again and we use again this water uh, cascaded down in the process for cleaning or for low quality applications. The Monte Claros factory is having achieved the triple zero certificate, which means this factory, which is a dairy and coffee factory, today operates without using local water supply, operates only using the water extracted from the fresh milk that we procure on a daily basis. Sounds almost like magic or I don't really believe you kind of thing. How do you achieve that? I mean, what are you asking from your engineers so they would be able to plan a plant to work in this way? Many people think this is a breakthrough innovation effect. It's something that can be easily done. It's really common sense. In a way, you have a resource, which is the water embedded in milk, as I said, is 80%. So just imagine you have many thousands of liters of milk coming into your factory. If you extract the solids, which are the material needed to prepare the infant formula product or the dairy product, you would have 80 liters out of 100 liters of milk available to be treated. And normally we do it with a certain process. Again, nothing really super innovative can be activated carbon, can be reverse osmosis, something viable in the marketplace. Obviously, the whole engine is costly, but at the end you have clean water treated at the drinking water standard that you can use inside the factory for all applications. So for cleaning, for employee drinking, for the process itself, for steam production, all that is done with the water that is treated but extracted from the milk. So if you have this water on a daily basis, you don't need to open the tap and to get water from the water purveyor or pumping water from your well is an alternative water. So I'll ask you now what happens if the milk yield is dropping? What then? You said that you manufacture coffee there as well. What happens then? 
when we speak about zero water technologies, we started to speak about zero water withdrawal, which means the factory is zero withdrawal. But in fact, in many places, because of what you mentioned, you may not have always the quantity of milk available to substitute completely the amount of water you need to run your factories. If water from milk is not enough to run the factory processes, it's clear that you need to have a dual supply. So the gap in terms of quantity needed, you would take them from the municipal water supply system or from your internally operated well. At the same time, the water use efficiency journey continue in a factory year after year. So the trend is that a factory is uh, continuously deliver improvements. So the efficiency in terms of how many cubic meters of water you use per tons of product you produce is always improving. So you're talking about value chain. You're talking about making business sense because you are, in effect, reusing water, right? That is embedded in a different thing. What about accountability? Would you buy the milk from a farmer that is not water smart? This has been typically my first question because I'm trying to also work in my company as a devil's advocate. So we may have fantastic ideas, but we have to have fantastic ideas 360 degrees. So something can be good if you look at that from this angle and then you don't understand the unintended consequences on the other side. When we procure fresh milk in our local operations, we call it Farmer Connect. So we have our network of uh, extensionists, agricultural extensionists, working on a daily basis with those farmers to improve agricultural practices, which also include water. So the first factory ever qualified as a zero withdrawal was in Mexico a few years ago. It's clear that if I have to play the devil's advocate role, I would ask the first question like, okay, you take in this fresh milk, you save water locally in your factory, but are you sure that the fresh milk that you use is sustainably produced? Because otherwise you simply outsource the problem somewhere else. So what we did, I went personally to interview as a water expert. I went into farms, into these big farms, and we assessed the sustainability of water management at those farms. And the result was... They were super efficient for many different reasons. I have no time to, to explain. But yes, we consider this and we ensure that the whole process, A to Z, is qualified as sustainable water management. Let's talk about something that I like very much, and it is coffee. And the price of coffee is on the rise due to climate change and due to problems in production of coffee. Now, besides helping your suppliers be smarter and better and to be up to your standard, irrigation systems are costly to install. Do you assist them in installing such a thing? So you speak about coffee. I can talk about water and coffee for the next two hours if you want. Uh, I'm pretty sure you have not enough time. Oh, try me. Okay. <laughs> so I... Tomorrow I have two speaking slots where I have to describe this very big project we have in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Coffee farmers in Vietnam. Vietnam, number one producer of robusta coffee worldwide. We have seen over time that coffee production in Vietnam increased a lot because if you look back in 20 years ago, Vietnam was relatively small. So they have incredibly increased their production. But clearly this has also come at expenses of natural resources. And the result is that in the central island of Vietnam, groundwater aquifers, the levels are running low. Farmers are struggling to have enough water to irrigate their crops, especially 
in the period between January and, and May when is a dry period every year. Do they still flood irrigate? So they do not flood, but they do not drip. Uh, it's still something you could consider a, a sort of primitive practice because they use hose to apply water around the plant trees. Just imagine you have 1,000 trees per every hectare and the farmer would use the hose uh, half an hour or one hour per tree uh, every It's almost every as good as flooding. Uh, I think it's not as flooding because you flood only the proximity of the tree. You do not flood the whole field. The point here is that what we have seen over time that coffee production would have been unsustainable in the next 20, 30 years. So we have, first of all, built science because science was not available. From a qualitative point of view, we understood something was going wrong, but we didn't have the numbers. So we have engaged with research institutions to understand what was the water footprint of coffee and understand how much water is really needed to irrigate the coffee tree to achieve the yield, which is a very good yield, currently delivered by the trees in Vietnam. We discovered that farmers irrigate 70% more. Okay, And we discovered that by simply reducing... They, they overwater. They over-irrigate. So just imagine, instead of putting the hose with this amount of water for 15 minutes every month, they would put it for 45 minutes every month with a perverse feeling that the more water they had the more crop they, they get, the more yield they get, which in fact we demonstrated in Nemo plots that was not the case. That instead of 1,000 liters per tree per round, you would easily do it with 300 liters per tree per round. So huge saving. 99% of the problem can be managed simply by reducing the amount of water you add. The result is that the farmer, when reduced the irrigation volume, because this is what we are doing with these 50,000 farmers, not only save water, so becomes more resilient, but saves a lot of money. Because there is no cost of infrastructure, no capex, nothing. But because they pump less water from the wells, it's less energy, less fuel, and also less labor because you need to have someone to irrigate. We have made a calculation. Farmers could save easily up to 40% of their cost of production. Okay? So, so normally... And, and increase the yield. And keep at least the same yield, which is very good, one of the best in the world. Okay? So this is what we're doing because for us is really ensuring long-term sustainability of coffee. But at the same time, you ensure that coffee farmers, they are also becoming better in terms of economics. Okay? And this morning, I, I mean, this is really new because I was thinking about it. I was in a session uh, where one of the themes was empowering people. So I thought, okay, how this project empower people? When I managed to have a farmer understanding clearly the issue and understanding also how to overcome the issue, they are empowered to take decisions because it's not easy. Eh? Adoption rate still is low. But if they are empowered and they take the right decision, they become better businessmen because they learn how to make more money. They become better stewards of resources because environmental sustainability is a big issue locally. And also they become better citizens and better family fathers, better family mothers because there is a strict connection between the waste of water in agriculture and the availability of water in uh, drinking water supplies in those communities. How does it make them a better family? Well, a better family because, you know, you're talking about new generations. And in many places in Vietnam, in certain moments, there is a lack of water, which is surprising when you think about the amount of water that is flowing as rain on a yearly basis. But in dry periods, there is an issue in availability of drinking water. And sometimes drinking water supplies are coming from the same aquifers, which are overexploited by agriculture. So the same person, not only by saving water, have a better farming system, so improve professionally is a way of doing. But at the same time, the same person 
as kids at home suffering for lack of thinking water because there is an overexploitation in the farm fields. You know, sometimes is what seems to be easy for you sitting at your table is not easy when you go in the field, especially when you go in talking to small on the farmers. This is what I learned. I'm a water expert. I'm not an agricultural expert. I learned a lot. So the point is why a farmer would not get that by saving water is also improving his uh, farm economics because this has always been there. First, no one really came with solid science. Second, no one came with the right process to raise awareness because normally you have farmers they tend to adopt practices when they see another farmer doing that. So the model we adopted was a farmer field school. So we were training farmers to train farmers then. Who are your early adapters for this scheme? Uh, normally you have community leaders. This is life. You go for the training, 40 people, and if you convince the, the one who is the community leader to do it at his own farm, you would see immediately after the results are proven, the others are following. It's always like this. You need the one to lead and then the 10 to come. But if this is somehow very intuitive... It's not intuitive because people are afraid of change. And not always the, the community leaders would opt for change. This is why I'm asking. Yeah. What, how did well, you in do certain how did places, you in certain places, you may even start demo plots. So you can, it, this is not the case because you don't need really expensive solution. But let's say if you want to do drip irrigation or else, probably it has to go through implementing drip irrigation, subsidizing drip irrigation to a decent amount of farmers so that you create really the cluster that then is becoming the example that other would, uh, would take. But I think it's even less intuitive when people do not connect the dots. When you're using so much water at the farm well, you would lack, after a while, water from your drinking water well, which is perhaps 500 meters away from your house. Okay? So even there, you need to go with science, but then convert it in very simple terms so that people understand the connection, so they understand what is the issue, they understand how to overcome. And I think it's also important that this societal involvement is really to give people, community members or farmers, individuals, the emotional value of what they're doing. Because I think it, once they understand that by wasting water at farm, they put at risk their future generations, I think is an emotional shift. And what was not so logical, perhaps from a farming practice point of view, becomes logical from a community perspective. Mm -hmm. You are a for-profit business and you have shareholders. Are they part of the change as well? Do they see it the same way or they're looking for the end result? Or you say being business smart is always environmentally smart, socially smart, and then you get the, the best result possible. Well, I'm probably not the person to, to answer to this question. I am pretty sure, as anyone is pretty sure, that Nestle is renowned to be a leader in uh, sustainability, but we call it creating share value. We call it Nestle in society. So it's not philanthropy. What we do, what I describe, for example, first of all, we do it because we have to ensure the resilience and the profitability of our business. And on top of that, if this creates value for the communities or for the key suppliers we have uh, uh, working with us, this is exactly what we mean with creating value and Nestle in, uh, in society. So I, I guess that shareholders, at least a relevant portion of shareholders, they consider the image of the company and the added value provided by the company in local communities when they decide to buy an Nestle share instead of buying another share. It's not a secret that 
Nestle came under fire, especially for your water enterprises and the bottled water enterprises. And I'm curious as to how you approach it. Because I, you know, I'm sitting in front of you and I, I believe what you do and what you say about being a leader in the stewardship. And yet, if you just search and Google Nestle water, uh, besides of having 53, 54 brands, am I mistaken? 54 brands of water around the world? Uh, you know better than me. <laughs> But we, we have close to 100 factories and then probably a little bit less brands. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how, how do you see this criticism? Yes, we know about this social media issue. Sometimes it's uh, popping up uh, more prominently. Sometimes it's very silent. I think it's very much related to the emotions related to uh, water sold. What I can say, because I, I don't think I am entitled to give uh, institutional answer, but I try to explain to you from a water expert perspective. Someone who has worked in bottled water factories for 26 years. So I know almost every factory, almost every spring, almost every catchment. First of all, when you think about bottled water business, you think about something that, despite big, uh, still is very small. So personally, but this is my personal answer, when I try to balance out the volume of water that is sold today or distributed in drinking water supply system, and the water that is sold as bottled water, you could easily see that there is no alternative supply because we are talking about probably 1,000 times less volume, okay? Where of, to? Well, bottled water is much smaller than the drinking water supply systems. So we are, cannot be a substitute from a quantity point of view for bad, sometimes, drinking water distribution systems. Our competitive arena is not drinking water supply. We say that if you have good water at your tap, drink good water to tap. But this is a luxury that not so many people have. Our competitive arena is unhealthy hydration. So that means that we sell bottled water as a healthy alternative to carbonated or calorics of drinks. So healthy hydration, when you're talking about individuals and families, is really our answer to the problem of obesity, for example. So okay. you say, I prefer that someone on the go would opt for a bottle of water rather than soft drink but you do have some soft drinks you do have things that are high in sugar well you were asking and, and me you were asking me about bottled water so bottled water is really the volumes we have because other products other brands probably they are much smaller in terms of uh, size but i wanted to make it clear because sometimes this is the very first element driving this reputational issues in the social media what is very emotional we know it what is uh, the essence for life so no one really understand that whatever the products you buy on the shelf use 1000 times more water than the bottled water you buy i heard a statistic from one of your competitors which is coca-cola they said that they used to use three liters of water per one liter of product And they managed, you know, through good housekeeping to get to 1.7 liter yeah. per one liter product. Yeah. So for you, it's one liter equals one liter of water? No, well, first of all, I don't want to talk about competitors here. We are talking about uh, in a gen generic terms, mm -hmm. okay? So I speak about calorics of things. I don't speak about brands because we also have small quantities of uh, similar... No, no products, I'm just okay? saying this is a statistic that they so put, put out. The, this is the, the point is, if you're talking about bottled water, And if you compare it with fruit juices or you compare it with any other product, you buy and you eat, the water footprint of that product is enormously higher than the bottled water you buy. Because bottled water is the bottle 
the water you drink and nothing more because there is no agriculture supply chain, which is normally the biggest water footprint. And I'm not saying you don't have to buy something having an agricultural supply chain because it's counterintuitive. We are food and beverage company. But the question you are asking, bottled water is the most efficient product from a water perspective. We as a company, we have a ratio of one point, even we have factories 1.1 for one or 1.3, I think is the average. But makes no difference. I mean, beer, you can say you have three, three, three liters per, per, per liters because you have some more process internally. But you also have to consider the, the water print of barley, the water print of uh, lemon, the citrus and whatever. But I don't want to enter into that because I don't want to speak against someone. I want to speak in favor of what we are doing. So bottled water is very efficient, first. Bottled water, mineral water, what we are doing, and I tell you, this has been my job for many, many years. We are leading in water conservation. Whenever we, wherever we are located, we have springs, we have resources that we protect. And it's already 150 years certain springs are protected. They are source of our business. So we monitor the, 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 the water levels. We monitor the quality. We protect the land. So Did you ever stop production because the, the ecosystem that or the, the water source that you were taking water out of was uh, starting to show signs of stress? Well, you have in many places signs of stress. This is why you have to anticipate and you have to work uh, in collaboration with others to make sure that there is a mitigation of those elements. It has happened also in my uh, personal history to experience factory shutdown because we simply located the factory in the wrong place. These are exceptions. But what I want to stress is that we have water resources monitoring and conservation practices which are unusual. No one else using water, operating water, go to the level of details in building the knowledge, hydrogeological studies, environmental impact assessment studies. So you may believe me or not, but this has been my life. So this is very important. Uh, why do you do that? Sorry? Why do you do that? Why we do that? Mm -hmm. Because clearly we built our future on that spring. So again, the, the, the misunderstanding in principle is, okay, these guys are coming, they are sucking water, they go somewhere else. Look at where we are. I mean, I have started my career in San Pellegrino, which is a very famous mineral water. I mean, San Pellegrino is there since uh, the beginning of last century. And many people before me, they did exactly my job. So this is the legacy we have. And I would challenge you to find same type of awareness, same type of focus in managing water resources in other businesses. Wash? Wash, okay. It's close to your heart. Yeah. Well, Why? Well, it's close to my heart. As a background, I'm, I'm an hydrogeologist and I managed uh, hundreds of uh, sources, but more from a technical point of view. So dealing with quantity, dealing with quality, later on also dealing with stakeholder management, uh, because clearly I understood the hard way that water cannot be only managed with technical solution, because there's also a societal and economical connotation. Wash is somehow different but also at the same time pervasive because at the end of the day you speak about water and you speak about access to water and sanitation so i give you my point of view which is also my company point of view wash just uh, the acronym is access to water and sanitation and hygiene first of all we as a company we have since a long time reaffirmed that we reckon that water is a human right as per the united nations definition 
what does it mean? According to United Nations principles, access to water can be guaranteed and sure supported different way. You may, first of all, avoid no negative impact on local resources. Additionally, do not harm and do good. So how we as a company ensure our strive for no negative impact. Typically, water resources we manage, if we have groundwater wells, we monitor the levels, we monitor the aquifer. So uh, it happened to me, for example, many, many years ago in Philippines, we had a beginning of a litigation with the local community because they were claiming our pumping was running their, their community well dry. So normally when you have the science and you can prove with pumping tests that this is not happening, this is what we mean technically no negative impact. Make sure that your operations do not create any negative impact on nearby communities. This can be from a quantity standpoint, and this is the example I mentioned, but this is possible to happen also from a quality standpoint. So if an industry, and unfortunately in the world still you have many industries, especially small medium enterprises discharging without treating their effluents, this can create an impact on the access to water for downstream communities because basically the quality of water is becoming undrinkable. Normally as a company, we have our internal standards which are same or better than local standards. Our effluents are meeting the standards. So from that compliance point of view, we make sure we do not create any negative impact on local water resources. The do good is additional. What we do, and this is also our public commitment on water stewardship, we commit delivering access to water to priority communities in, around our factories or in priority value chain. So we have many projects. We may have more, indeed. For example, in Central Africa, in Ivory Coast and Ghana, we are partnering with the International Federation of Red Cross. And since many years, we have made sure that uh, we are talking about 300,000 people, they have access to, uh, to water and, and sanitation and hygiene. So this is something we do in many other factories around the world. India, Pakistan, we have uh, drinking water fountains in community or in a village school. We have in many factories drinking water supply taps at our factory walls. So communities are coming in with the jerry can and they fetch. So Indeed, we could do more, but this is decently well in our DNA when we operate locally, again, in this Nestle society concept. Let's talk a moment about hygiene. Hygiene comes together. Not always it's easy to run programs embedding uh, thoroughly hygiene. So, for example, this is what we are doing in uh, Africa. In other places, we don't do, or we simply raise awareness in school, but not always all projects we have are water and sanitation and hygiene. Most of the time it's water because water is quite straightforward. Sanitation, uh, toilets, latrine is also coming, but not always it's possible, not always in, is in the need. Hygiene, I think, is more a program. So you, you have to have trainers, uh, people going into schools, going into communities and teach about that. So hygiene is education, 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 and a bit more of education? Well, it's mainly about education. If you think about that, 50% of the intestinal diseases are related to water. If you teach children or teach people on how to wash hands before having lunch, for example, you already achieved a lot. We're in the 21st century. You want to tell me that we still deal with these things? Yes. Yes, unfortunately. Basically, today, more than 2 billion people, they lack access to water. So they are cut off basic conditions to access to water and sanitation. So 
is it the world we want to live in? No. So I normally say, if this is happening, this is a failing society. And I think it's not easy to have an healthy business in a failing society. So this is why, according to our size, according to the resources we have available, we keep this as one of the key items. And a few years ago, in 2013, I guess, 2014, at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, we have launched the so-called WASH Pledge. That was a call from business to business to ensure basic conditions of access to water and sanitation within business-owned manufacturing facilities. Again, you could ask, but is it possible that today in this world we have manufacturing facilities not having basic conditions for wash? The answer is yes. So this is reality. So what we committed was, first of all, championing the wash pledge, carrying out in all our operations around the world the self-assessment, and then monitor on the, 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 the results and then commit to implement the corrective actions. Today, we are probably the company who has implemented more thoroughly the WASH pledge. We did it in 100% of our operation, close to 500 factories and 2,000 facilities, if you include also distribution centers and offices or whatever. We have identified only minor gaps. The WASH pledge was a very small a stone thrown in the lake. Because if you take all World Business Council uh, for Sustainable Development members, default 200 companies would sign for that. That would mean, I think it was like in the 20 million employees served with access to water uh, and sanitation. Just compare the 20 million with the 2 billion. Okay, it's a small piece, but mm-hmm. it's a very valuable piece because business would give the right sign to public sector, to governments, to make sure that they take their own responsibility and they ensure access to water and sanitation to their citizens. Drawing to an end, you said that you've been working for the past 26 years with Nestle and you know almost each and every bottle that left yeah, so factory. Every, every spring. Every spring, okay. <laughs> I'm not uh, involved in the production uh, process. <laughs> You you have a vantage point. You can see the changes in the past two and a half decades. What's the future like? Well, if I have to look at the numbers, I should be very pessimistic because we see that human beings are using water resources uh, at the rate that is not replenished by Mother Nature in so many catchments around the world. If I have to look in a five to ten years time frame and see how the water issue is raised to a very top level in every agenda, civil society, public sector and private sector, and especially on top of that, trying to have an understanding of how the relationships with, between these stakeholders group have changed over time, I am very positive. Because what was conflictual before is now becoming an opportunity for collaboration. And if you go along this track, I'm pretty sure we have the chance to mitigate the issue because probably to solve the issue, we have to wait for the generation to come. Carlo Galli from Nestle, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.